The Terps are back in the NCAA tournament, and we break it all down on this edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. We pick our Terp of the Week, play a special edition of Fair or Foul, and we chat with Baseball America's Michael Lanana about Maryland's chances in the Winston-Salem Regional against Wake Forest, West Virginia, and UMBC. Plus, Justin and I, we make our picks for the eight teams that are going to make it to Omaha and the College World Series. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network Podcast. Here's your host, Jake Eisenberg. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 39th episode of the Maryland Baseball Network Podcast. Jake Eisenberg here, joined by Justin Galanti, who's joining us from Westport, Connecticut, his hometown. He's phoning this one in quite literally. Justin, how you doing? I'm good. Our relationship has officially gone long distance, Jake, but... (laughs) Nothing could hold this podcast apart, so I'm looking forward to this one, uh, especially because we get to talk about the Big Ten tournament and the Terps playing in a regional this week. Yeah, I miss you already, but it's good that we'll be back together this weekend when the Terps play in the NCAA regional. It's the third time in four years that Maryland has made the NCAA tournament. Terps getting the bid a three seed in the Winston-Salem regional. Host is Wake Forest. The two seed is West Virginia. The four seed, UMBC. So Maryland is going to play West Virginia In the first round of this regional, West Virginia the two-seed, Maryland the three-seed. First pitch for that game is at 2 o'clock Eastern time on Friday. Maryland Baseball Network will be live at 1.30 Eastern time with all the action. But before we break down that regional, we'll kind of take a look back at the Big Ten tournament. And that starts, Justin, with our term of the week, which, I mean, I know there's only two of us, but it was a resounding unanimous term of the week this week. Yeah, John Murphy has to be the term of the week. He was outstanding out of the bullpen, got his first two wins of the season, actually, pitched six scoreless innings, and they weren't just scoreless. They were pretty much dominant. When he came in in the first game he pitched, came in into into a jam, got out of it, and then it was smooth sailing the rest of the way. It was as good as we've seen Murphy pitch all year, which is saying something because his ERA has dropped well under one, and this has kind of been a slow emergence of John Murphy to the point now where I think he's – Maybe the first guy out of the bullpen if you need a swing man before Ryan Selmer. Yeah, Murphy only gave up two hits in those six innings, struck out eight, walked one. That ERA for John Murphy is down this season to 1.26. For some context, that's the best ERA of any player on the team that has pitched more than 25 innings, which is most of the guys that are used most frequently. Um, So that's been really impressive stuff from the sophomore right-hander, and I think you're right. I think at this point, if there's a starter that struggles or you need length at the back end of a ball game, you know, in this tournament action that we saw this past week or this regional action that we'll see this weekend, John Murphy has to be the guy that you turn to first and foremost. Yeah, I don't think you can argue with that. He has a good mix of pitches. His fastball was up in the 90s this week, looked really, really sharp. And when we talked to him on the podcast a few weeks ago, he said he just loves coming out of the bullpen. Even though he's been a starter in the past, he loves that rush of adrenaline. He loves hanging out, watching the game, watching hitters, and then getting that call from Ryan Fecto to go warm up. And he loves the adrenaline rush coming into the game. So he's been great. Somebody I think in the future could be the closer of this team and really be a shutdown guy. But for now, I think he's shown that he's the person Maryland should go to if they need length in one of these games. So John Murphy, the sophomore right-hander, is our Turb of the Week. And just to take a look back at the Big Ten tournament quickly, Justin, Maryland went 3-2 and two out in Bloomington, Indiana, got wins over Northwestern, wins over Purdue. The real crucial win 
was the victory over the number one seed, Nebraska. And ultimately, it seems like that was the win that kind of pushed Maryland on the right side of the bubble. Maryland, in fact, was not even among the first, I'm sorry, the last four teams in. Maryland was a lot safer than, than we thought when we were sitting at the airport on the way back. We thought Maryland was going to be the first team out or the last team in. But in fact, it was Michigan who was the last team in as part of the five Big Ten teams that made it. Justin, it's unbelievable, but three weeks ago, you said that there was a path for five teams in the Big Ten. I laughed at you, and well, here we are. The drive for five has become a reality. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. Love the drive <laughs> for five. I've been getting taunted for a few weeks about it, and it came true, so I'm happy about that. Happy for the conference that they had a number of teams put on a good show this weekend and get the five teams into the NCAA tournament. The thing I will say, though, um, I was in total agreement with you and people around the airport and around the team at the hotel. The confidence level was, I don't know, somewhere around 50-50, and we all thought it was going to be nip and tuck, maybe last team in, first team out thing, exactly what you said. But I know we're not playing our game yet, but I'm not sure it's a fair statement to say the win over Nebraska was the crucial one because for Maryland to not even be one of the last four teams in – with all of the stolen bids that happened around the country this week, I think it's possible that Maryland only needed to win one game, no matter who against in the Big Ten tournament to be safe. Maybe even could have gone 0-2 because I don't think you can move essentially off the bubble with one win. Yeah, it's an interesting discussion. You're kind of jumping the gun a little bit, Justin. We'll get know, to fair foul in just a second. But just to kind of round out those five Big Ten teams that are in the tournament, Nebraska is a two-seed in the Corvallis Regional in Oregon State. Michigan is a three-seed in the Chapel Hill Regional down at UNC. Iowa, the Big Ten tournament champion, is a four-seed in the Houston Regional. Indiana, the two-seed in the Lexington, Kentucky Regional. And, of course, Maryland, the three-seed down in the Winston-Salem Regional. So those are all the five Big Ten teams that made it pretty much the five or the four that we expected plus the conference, champion, conference tournament champion in Iowa. Um, and I think out of all of those five teams, and I guess this is our segue into fair or foul, I'll start with this. Maryland has the best path to a super regional. I would say that is a fair statement. Um, and the other one I would say in the Big Ten that has the best chance at making it to a super is actually the one that's the lowest seed, Iowa. I would um, say that's a fair statement as well. So Houston's a good team but they've lost probably the guy who was their best pitcher coming into the year. Seth Romero got kicked off the team. He's been suspended a few times, but I don't look Houston at Houston as a national power, the way that I look at North Carolina or Oregon. So even though Iowa is a four seed, the way that team hits the ball outside of Maryland, I say they have the best chance to get to a super, but Unfortunately, this isn't the Iowa Baseball Network podcast, so I'll get back to the Terps. <laughs> Wake, Wake Forest is not a national seed, and West Virginia and UMBC are teams that the Terps have already beaten in midweek games, so I, I don't look at this at all as an unwinnable regional. Right. Maryland took on West Virginia on a Tuesday afternoon in College Park, won 7-6, took on UMBC in a midweek game, as you mentioned, also in College Park, won that ball game 6-2, and while we kind of talked with John Sheff, uh, at media day at practice, talked to him after the tournament field was announced. And to go into a regional and have two teams there that you've already faced, and not only faced but beaten, that's got to make you feel pretty good about Maryland's chances. Now, obviously, Wake Forest is still going to be the favorite in this regional, and deservedly so. 
one of the best offenses in the country and a really tough team to beat at home. They're 21-7 and at home, and what we've kind of gathered about that ballpark down in Winston-Salem is that it plays somewhat similar to the ballpark in Bloomington where the ball just flies out of the yard. And we'll just take one look at Wake Forest's offensive stats, and you can see it. The Demon Deacons have hit 96 home runs as a team and have five guys with double-digit home runs. It's really impressive. Yeah, the offense is kind of scary when you look on paper at Wake Forest. It's kind of what we saw with Iowa's offense kind of times three, I guess. They have a lot of guys that absolutely mash. But Wake Forest is not the strongest team in the world pitching staff-wise. So what could happen in a game like that is probably uh, a score fest. But we'll see what happens there. But I have to say that the experience of playing the other two teams helps. And then also the travel helps. This is about as close as, as Maryland could have gotten for a regional. And that has to be something that is a benefit. It's good for them that they didn't have to go out to Oregon or Palo Alto to play their regional. Right, and, and John Sheff was, I think the best word was overjoyed at the fact that Maryland did not have to get on another plane after landing at BWI Monday morning at about 10 o'clock to then drive to this election show uh, over at Looney's. He was thrilled that Maryland can drive down to Winston-Salem and, and not have to fly across the country to a place like Corvallis against the number one overall seed like Maryland did two years ago in UCLA. Of course, Maryland beat the Bruins, but bit of a tall task to do that twice in three years yes absolutely and is there really anybody in this country that enjoys dealing with airports <laughs> i don't mind it okay other than you is there anybody in this country? No, <laughs> I, it's just it's just an easier process you can leave whenever you want you can stop to get food i, I mean these are kind of dumb things but it's a more comfortable trip if you can get on a bus than on a plane absolutely all right justin what's our next fair or foul statement well, we prepare for these, and the one you just made, I'm not sure was on the list. So I don't know where we are now, but I'm going to go with one of these, okay? So we'll start with, um, based on kind of something you mentioned a few moments ago about the ballpark, the experience of playing in the Big Ten tournament, the way it was played, is a big advantage for Maryland because they played at Bart Kaufman Field in Indiana, as you said, which was a band box, and all of the games were high scoring. So when you look at this regional – three teams other than Maryland that are predicated on offense more than pitching, you expect some high scoring games. You expect Maryland to need to outscore teams rather than outpitch them to win the regional. So playing in the big 10 tournament, the way that tournament got played is an advantage for the Turks. I think that is a fair statement, but I think it's a fair statement and Maryland has an advantage for a reason that you didn't bring up. It's not so much from my point of view that Maryland has the experience of playing in Bloomington. And Chef said right after the selection show that Ryan Fecto is not really going to enjoy playing down in Winston-Salem because of how the ball flies out of the yard. But I think if you look at the regional field that Maryland is in, sure, you have Wake Forest. They've hit 96 home runs. They've also played 28 games in that ballpark. If you look at the rest of the teams between Maryland, West Virginia, and UMBC, the Terps have the second most home runs of any of the teams in that regional. Maryland's hit 60 long balls this season, West Virginia 45, UMBC only 27. So if you're looking at who can kind of change the ballgame with one swing, sure, you're going to look to the Demon Deacons, but Maryland right behind him with Marty Costas, who has 11, Kevin Smith, who has 11, and A.J. Lee, who has 8, and just continues to rake. Yeah, and that could work both ways, I think, because if the ballpark is so small and the ball flies, maybe that could inflate West Virginia and UMBC's numbers if they had played 
more games there. I mean, when we were talking on the podcast last week, we said that Minnesota could be a team that was disadvantaged because they don't hit many home runs and they would not be able to stay in the game with other teams that hit more home runs. It turned out Minnesota made it all the way to the tournament semifinals because, well, they were able to hit home runs in that stadium. Right, exactly. Okay, so moving on, uh, our next fair or foul statement, um, and I'll, I'll, th- I'll, I'll propose this one to you. Since Maryland has made the NCAA tournament, regardless of the outcome going forward, this season can be considered a success. I would call that a little bit of a foul statement because I think it would have been a failure to not make the NCAA tournament, especially based on uh, where this team was looked at in the middle of the year as a top 25 team. I think the proper statement would be uh, the season is now not a failure. Um, Okay, so kind of a negative angle on the positive spin, if you will. I guess so. Um, I I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, the line I guess I between... guess the question the, the question then becomes what makes this season successful short of winning the national title, going to Omaha, making a super regional, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean it's tough, but I it's a tough line. But I think that coming into this year, we both would have said Maryland's going to make a regional. So I think right now the season is what it should have been. I think the word success goes maybe a step past that. Is that winning one game in the regional? Is it getting to the regional finals, getting to a super? I'm not quite sure. It kind of depends how it plays out. For example, if the Terps lose to West Virginia in the first game and then lose to UMBC, I would say that's not a great thing. You should have beaten UMBC. The season ends as what it should be. If you win one game in the regional, then you know maybe you knock, you, you beat West Virginia and then you lose to Wake Forest and lose to West Virginia if you play them again. Maybe that's a success because you got a good win against West Virginia, won a game in a regional. But right now, I would say the season is where it should be. Okay, I agree with that. What's next? Next statement is going to be one of our fill-in-the-blanks that we've kind Ooh, of incorporated like in the fair foul. This it's like fair a bad foul, Yes, it's fun. Um, but don't do anything funny because we need real answers on this, okay? <laughs> right, we're going to stay serious here on the NBA podcast. Yes, So this one is the biggest takeaway from the Big Ten tournament for Maryland was blank. And my answer for that, I'll go first here, is the emergence of different guys out of the bullpen, most specifically John Murphy and Jared Price. I mean, we already talked about John Murphy and his dominance. Six innings, two hits, no runs, eight strikeouts, one walk in his two appearances. And not only was he stellar out of the bullpen, but because of the innings that he pitched, he really kept Maryland's bullpen arms and the rest of the staff a lot fresher than they might have been. When it comes to a guy like Jared Price, he came out and had the longest appearance since 2014 when he started a handful of games, got his first win since 2014, and was really dominant, showed some awesome stuff that we knew he had but hadn't seen in a lengthy appearance so far this season. So I was really impressed with Jared Price, and if he can bring that success to the NCAA Regional, I think Maryland's going to be in good shape if he becomes a bullpen battle. Yeah, I agree with that. Price was sitting 94-95 with his fastball, apparently touched 98 a few times. His breaking ball got stronger as his outing went on. And in that game, he allowed the Terps to only use two pitchers because he finished it. So it helped set up another game where the Terps weren't so depleted in their bullpen. And who knows, you know, if the Terps don't make it to the Big Ten semifinal, 
it's possible, like you said, that they might not have made the tournament. It might have been even closer. So having two guys now that you feel like could give you legitimate three, four, five inning length out of the bullpen, other than Ryan Selmer, who, look, we've seen what Selmer can do this year, and he showed it again in the game the Terps actually lost against Northwestern on Sunday. But when you have a bunch of guys like that, it can certainly help save pitching depth. Right, Ryan Selmer went five and a third innings in that game against Northwestern. He's a guy who started before at the Super Regional level, and it'll be interesting to see how he's used if Maryland has to play four games in this regional. That'll be something interesting to watch, and of course we're going to have to wait and see on that. One of my takeaways from the Big Ten tournament was one of the bats that came in as, well, one of the team leaders in home runs and RBIs, but the average a lot down, the expectations not necessarily fulfilled from Kevin Smith, but he was named to the all-tournament team and had, I think quietly, a really, really good Big Ten tournament. He hit 350 with five RBIs, had a home run in the five games, and I think if Kevin Smith can keep this kind of hitting going, hitting seventh, we've kind of talked about this a decent amount this year, that lineup just gets a lot longer and a lot more dangerous. Yeah, it makes it more circular for sure. Smith had the three-run double against Purdue to break a 2-2 tie in the eighth inning. That was a huge hit. And he had that huge bunt that set up what Oh, my goodness. One of the best bunts I've ever seen in my life. Twitter loved that bunt. And that bunt looked like... Even people who don't like bunts liked that bunt. And that's saying something. Because we know some people who really don't like bunts. We do. Shout out to Connor Newcomb. (laughs) But um, that looked like it was going to set up a big inning for the Terps. But, yeah, Smith quietly had a big tournament, got named to the all-tournament team. Congratulations to him. And exactly what you said, if someone at the bottom of the order can be producing like that, it's huge for a team. Even in the nine spot, Justin Morris gave the Terps big contributions this weekend. And we mentioned it a few minutes ago, but it looks like they are going to have to score and score a lot to be successful down in Winston-Salem. Just to touch on Justin Morris, he's now started 10 straight games, all the games of the Big Ten tournament, raised his average by about 40 points this past week and was really, really good defensively. He only threw out one of, I think, 10 batters that tried to steal against him, but a lot of those weren't really his fault. He didn't have a great chance to throw out a lot of them. But in terms of the reception of the pitches, in terms of blocking pitches, just being really solid defensively at catcher, something that Maryland has had a rotation with this year and not has always been consistent with. The the way that Justin Morris played this weekend, I think, went the most unheralded, really maybe of any player in the entire tournament. I agree with that. And all year it's been Justin Morris gives you great defense and anything with the bat is, you know, icing on the cake. And this weekend he gave offense. And when you have that, it's huge. I was impressed the most with his defense in Tyler Blome start against Nebraska because there were a number of balls in the dirt that he blocked to save bases for Blome and kind of helped him out to a really good start. Okay. So you mentioned that you think that this NCAA regional is going to be a bit of a slugfest more than a pitcher's duel type of regional. So that brings us really to our last fair foul, which is another sort of fill in the blank. What is the X factor for Maryland to win this NCAA regional? What does Maryland have to do to come out on top? Well, I I think it's score, frankly, because this regional, like I said, and you know, it's interesting. 100% of the time, the team that scores more runs wins the game. Did you know that? Yeah, another (laughs) interesting fact. 100% of the times, your jokes are not funny. (laughs) Oh, oh, that was mean. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. (laughs) We'll go with with 80%. 
But uh, uh, yeah. uh, that's still me, but I guess I'll take it. Yeah, it's the kind of statement that doesn't make sense, but it makes sense. It's just that these games seem like they're going to be more 9-8 than 2-1, and, and I kind of think you'd agree with that. I would. Based on, yeah. So, basically, it's offense, and in terms of offense, I think it's timely hitting. And specifically, going to going back to the game, the Terps got eliminated in on Sunday against Northwestern. They put on a good fight late, scored five runs, got it back to 6-5. But you ask yourself, why were the Terps down 6 nothing? They had men on third base with less than two outs in the first and second inning, went 0 for 4 with four strikeouts, and then in the eighth inning had the bases loaded with nobody out, down a run, and they got a pop-up and a double play and don't score. So the missed opportunities can't happen this weekend. And you kind of took the words right out of my mouth. My X factor for Maryland is going to be you know, converting with runners in scoring position, something that Maryland did early on in the tournament and then wasn't able to do in that ballgame against Northwestern when Maryland had a chance – to, to come back, take the lead, win the ball game, and go potentially to the Big Ten tournament final. So I think if Maryland is going to be successful, especially against a team like Wake Forest that has the offensive numbers to just score and score and score, I mean, that's a team that hits 300 as a ball club, which is really impressive at the collegiate level. But if Maryland wants to knock off West Virginia for the second time this season, I think you're right. The Terps are going to have to outscore their opponents in kind of a slugfest fashion. It's going to be back-and-forth baseball. On that note, I think the only game in this regional that I'd say is more likely maybe to be a pitcher's duel than a slugfest is this first game for Maryland on Friday against West Virginia because, I mean, we don't exactly know who's going to be pitching yet, but, you know, all assumptions are all signs point to a Brian Schaefer versus B.J. Myers matchup. Myers has been the ace for West Virginia all season long. We've seen what Brian Schaefer can do, and given what we know about Brian Schaefer after his start against Iowa, he's going to come out with a little bit more of a chip on his shoulder and just go after these Mountaineer hitters. And I think that's a ball game where both offenses might really struggle, and it's going to be whoever kind of, you know, ends up scoring first rather than, you know, ends who ends up, you know, putting together the big inning and something like that. I don't disagree with that. I expect a big outing from Schaefer um, because he's been on this stage before, and we said that in the Big Ten tournament and things didn't go well for him on Thursday against Iowa, but – one game doesn't change a three-year body of work. He's the Big Ten Pitcher of the Year. He's pitched some massive, massive games in his career in college park, and I expect Schaefer to be as good as he's been all year, basically, on Friday because he knows he has to be. Schaefer has to be the tone setter for the Terps like he's been all year. Winning game one of a regional, it means everything. And even though he struggled this week, I don't think there's anybody Maryland would rather have on the mound. So that'll do it for this segment of Fair or Foul. I think it was pretty fair and maybe a little bit foul. That was one of the jokes that's really bad. Um, we can forget that one. <laughs> but but moving on, we had a chance to talk to Michael Lanana, who's a college baseball writer for Baseball America. For my money, one of the funniest baseball Twitter accounts. He makes some really good puns. But we talked to Michael about this Winston-Salem Regional, what Maryland's chances are. He introduces us to some of the other teams in the Regional, as well as gives us kind of an overall and more in-depth view of how Maryland got into the tournament, who the overall tournament favorites might be. So here's our conversation with Michael Lanana. <music> Happy.
Happy to be joined now on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast by Michael Lanana, a college writer at Baseball America. And Michael, I want to start kind of with the entire field of 64 as a whole. You guys at Baseball America had Maryland among your first four out when you guys released your most your latest field of 64 projection before the entire field came out. Why did you feel like Maryland wasn't good enough to get a bid this season? Yeah, you know, it's funny. That's the only one we got wrong uh, of, the, of the entire <laughs> field. That was that was the one we didn't get right. But, yeah, you know, it, for us, it was more just leaning more toward – they were among that cluster of teams that we wanted to get in, but the bids had just been stolen by, you know, some of those teams that wouldn't be at-large bids but won conference tournaments and got the automatic bids. So, for us, it was less about – leaving Maryland out we just liked Miami's resume just slightly more um, just because their strength of schedule was a, a little bit I mean they, they had the fifth hardest strength of schedule in the country and the way they finished the year the the kind of performance that they put together we thought it was strong enough to get them in obviously we were not right about that that was our lone miss uh, you know Maryland you know the way they finished the year they, they had points in the season when they were in our top 25 it just seemed as though they struggled to find that consistency this year. Uh, and that was one of the things that stood out with them. But certainly they were in the mix. And I, I think, you know, for us, we would have had them in, you know, had there been, you know, more available at-large slots. Yeah, it was actually a really interesting discussion internally for us. We were thinking, you know, it's going to be first four out or first four in. Maryland's right on the edge. And then, you know, Sunday comes around. And like you said, so many bubbles burst. The Big East, the Big Ten. Um, there were just a ton of them all over the country, and that bubble shrank and shrank and shrank. And I think in Miami's case, do you think that there was maybe some, I don't want to say bias, but do you think there was some kind of perspective where, hey, they've been there 44 straight years, what's 45? You know, they're this close, why not put them in again? Yeah, you know, I think I think it's only human to to think that, you know, and and that sort of played into it as well. I mean, I, I think that kind of thing is is unavoidable. Uh, when you're putting together a tournament, you know, when you have a name like Miami, obviously that's been such a power in college baseball. Um, you know, certainly it's, it's, it's something that probably enters the discussion. I don't know how heavily it enters. Obviously it wasn't enough to sway the committee this year, but you know, it, we tried not to base it on that when we put it together. Um, but you know, it was more so just looking at them, turning it around, just being finishing above 500 in the ACC at 16 and 13, and, uh, you know, earning a win in the ACC tournament as well, uh, you know, it just looked like a team that had turned things around. But I think ultimately it was just a little too little too late. Refocusing on Maryland, it seemed there, there weren't many surprises, I think, in the field of 64, save for maybe Clemson hosting as opposed to Virginia. And that decision right there kind of pointed maybe a little bit to what the committee emphasized, which was non-conference strength of schedule and RPI, although it seemed that was the way in some cases, maybe not others. What do you think ultimately got Maryland in? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think it was it was probably RPI and, you know, just where they finished in the Big Ten. I, I think the, the committee ruled favorably on the Big Ten as a whole, as a conference, obviously getting the five bids in, you know, and if you're going to have Indiana in uh, based on, you know, Indiana has a higher RPI at number 26, then you've got to have Maryland in, I think. And, you know, Michigan was one of the, the last four teams out, and they're the second-place team in the Big Ten, it, it, it was kind of interesting. It, there was some inconsistency with the selection committee because they, they talked a bit about non-conference strength of schedule when it came down to 
for Clemson over Virginia. But then when it came to St. John's and having them in the field, their non-conference strength schedule is significantly worse than, than Virginia's, and they were in the field. So it was kind of some inconsistency there. But I think ultimately with Maryland, it was just where they finished in the Big Ten, their RPI, and, and just you know the overall you know top 100 metrics as well. Not only that, but it seems like the Terps got – weren't among the first or the the last four in they were a little bit farther ahead in the field than that so maybe even a little bit better in fr- from the committee's perspective than expected yeah yeah it, it's certainly uh you know for for us they were they were on the bubble if they had gotten in obviously they'd be among the last four in so it was it was somewhat surprising to see that you know michigan was more of a bubble team for them than than maryland was um and so i'm not entirely sure you know how the committee viewed Maryland in, in relation to the rest of the Big Ten, it, you know, I'm, I'm kind of scratching my head a little bit on that myself, uh, you know, because for us is the other way around. But, you know, it, it's certainly, you know, I think with Maryland, you can make a case either way. I mean, that it's the definition of a bubble team. And it, I don't think it's a situation where they're not deserving to get in. I mean, we had some permutations where, the, where they were in. It's just ultimately we felt better about the other one where Miami was in instead. So and we were wrong. So <laughs> but. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, not, not only is Maryland in, but seemingly a pretty favorable regional site. You know, you could have seen the Terps going out to Corvallis to take on Oregon State. Could have seen them going out west again like they did in 2015. But instead, they end up on the East Coast. They draw West Virginia, a team they played this season. UMBC in that regional as well, another team that Maryland has played this year. Really kind yeah. of the best possible scenario maybe for the Terps. Yeah, I think it's a really good draw for them. I mean, it's not it's not a bad drive. I've made that drive personally before. It's not bad. And it's it's familiar territory too, obviously with the the ACC connection, the former ACC connection with Wake Forest and and all that. And then, like you said, just the familiarity with the opponents that they're playing. I think it is a really good draw, and I think it's it's one of the regionals to me on the board that's that's kind of up for grabs. Um, I, I I give Wake Forest the edge in the regional just because they play so well at home, and obviously they've been the best team on paper this year. But I think. Just knowing the way these teams are composed, I I could see both Maryland and West Virginia making a run for it. Now, with regards to Wake Forest, this is a team that is among one of the best offensive teams in the country. They're averaging almost eight runs a game. And like you said, their home record, 21-7. and But this is a team Maryland might not reach potentially until, I guess, the second or third game of this regional, depending on how things shake out. What would you say Maryland's chances are to be the team that comes out of Winston-Salem? Yeah, you know, I, I think the one thing that stands out to, be, to me about Maryland, and, and I'm curious to see how much it impacts them this year, is they haven't been as good on the road this year as they have been at home. They're 20-3 and three at home, 9-14 and 14 away, so I wonder how much of that impacts them. But I do think, you know, I would say they have decent chances. I, like I said, I would still give – I would probably give uh, Wake the edge over them. Uh, West Virginia, the fact that they played West Virginia earlier this year and beat them head-to-head, you know, obviously there's some familiarity there, and I mean, it was only a one-run game, but, you know, certainly I wouldn't, it's hard to pick an edge between those two teams. I think they're pretty closely matched in terms of their talent, um, having seen them both. So, um, you know, I would say, you know, I would give, I would give Wake Forest the, you know, maybe the, the 60-40 kind of split there, and then, you know, Maryland and, and, and West Virginia would be the other two kind of, you know, making up the rest of that. It's tough to it's tough to put a number on it, but um, I, I do think Maryland does have a, a decent shot of at least going far in this regional. When it comes to the NCAA regionals, maybe like the, the, the conference tournaments themselves, it seems like a lot of them 
are predicated on which team can get better starts from their starting pitching. Maryland, a team that has Brian Schaefer, Taylor Bloom, Tyler Bloom, Schaefer, the Big Ten Pitcher of the Year, Bloom, the Big Ten Freshman of the Year. How much of an impact do you think that those two in particular could have on the way this all shakes out? Yeah, I mean, I think they could have a huge impact. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt. Um, you know, pitching pitching is really what wins games for you um, in the postseason. The, the only thing that I would say is that the one thing that might put them at somewhat of a, of a disadvantage is Wake Forest. That ballpark, it's it's a bandbox. Ball the balls fly out of that ballpark. Um, you could you know you got to be careful holding your concessions from the concession stand because if you get a gust of wind, it's going to blow out over the right field fence. It's just it's 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 usually pretty windy out there. Usually the wind is blowing out and and the ball just flies off the bat. So you know it could be. I wouldn't be surprised to to see it be a more offensively geared regional just because of that. And that's that's part of what fuels Wake Forest pretty ridiculous and, and stout offensive numbers is that ballpark because they play there, you know, for the majority of the year. Uh, they're good off- offense anywhere, but especially there. So, um, you know, pitching is certainly important in trying to find a way to limit that damage. You know, I think having a guy like Brian Schaefer, who's a sinker guy, who's a guy who keeps the ball low in the zone and has good movement, I think is, is good for them to try to keep the ball on the ground as much as possible. I think that's if you're a pitcher, I think the game plan is to try to just keep the ball low and keep it on the ground in that ballpark. Because if you hit it, I've seen pop-ups go out for home runs before. So I think that's important. Yeah, Wake Forest with almost 100 home runs in the season. Maryland, though, second in the regional in home runs as a team with 60. And the Terps did lead the Big Ten tournament field in home runs up in Bloomington. And, I mean, that was a Big Ten tournament where the ball was flying out of the yard, maybe as much as it might in Winston-Salem this weekend. So a guy for the Terps like Marty Costas, who has 11 home runs, or Kevin Smith, who has 11 home runs, they could maybe make a significant impact here as well, no? Yeah, certainly, certainly. I think those are the players that are worth watching from an offensive standpoint, those guys with a little little bit more pop, because obviously they come up in the right situation. You can really change a game. You know, it's certainly, it's it's the kind of ballpark where you're going to want to maybe just go ahead and aim for the fences, because there's a decent chance it's going to go out. You know, it's just the way it is, the way that ballpark plays, so... You know, certainly you bring up a, a good point about them, you know, leading that tournament field in home runs and obviously you know, bringing the second most home runs to the regional. I think that's something that could give them an edge, certainly. Um, you know, obviously Wake Forest is going to have the advantage just, you know, being familiar with that park and how it plays and all of that. But I think Maryland could get that extra boost playing there. Just kind of going around this regional field between Wake Forest, West Virginia, UMBC and Maryland, I guess kind of just to touch on every team specifically, what has to go right for each of these four teams to be the one to move on to the Supers? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, starting, you know, starting with Wake Forest, just going around all four. You know, Wake Forest obviously just needs to continue what it's been doing all year, continue to thrive at home, to c- continue to hit the ball well, and continue to pitch well. That that's really been, you know, people talk about the Wake talk about the offense mostly with Wake Forest, but really, it's I think it's the pitching that's been more significant for them and really it's just the improvement in their pitching staff from last year and the last few years to this year this is the best pitching staff they've had in in years and certainly under tom walter and that coaching staff and i think it's imperative for them to continue to pitch well and really they've been a little shaky in the back end of the bullpen lately Uh, griffin roberts is their closer and he's got very good stuff, but he's been a little shaky in terms of command. So that's a question for them. So they need to make sure that they, they pitch well to keep their team in the game 
to allow their bats to work, and they need to find a solution in the back end of the bullpen, whether it's Griffin Roberts or somebody else. So I think that's the key for Wake. Um, I think I think West Virginia, you know, West Virginia is uh, kind of a, a very, very scrappy team. It's a veteran team, a lot of experience, experienced bats in that order. I, I think they're a team that could take advantage of the ballpark as well. They have some guys with some sneaky power in that lineup. Um, I think they just need to continue to grind. Um, I also think it's worth watching just health-wise how they are on the mound. Uh, they have a guy, Michael Grove, I saw earlier this year. He hasn't pitched for them in a while. I'm not sure what his status is coming into this weekend, but he's a guy who could change a regional just because he touches 95. He's got really good stuff, a really good slider. Um, so he's someone who could change a regional. That's worth watching for them. B.J. Myers is their senior ace, and he's he's crafty. He's a very crafty veteran, throws from multiple arm slots. He's a, touch, a really tough matchup. So I, I think for, for West Virginia, they need to kind of – they're not the most talented team in terms of draft prospects, but they have an edge to them. They have the swagger to them. I think they need to bring that, that kind of chip on their shoulder coming in, and uh, I think that's the key for them. And for Maryland, I think kind of what we touched on, kind of what we talked about, um, really taking advantage of those, those pitchers, you know, especially Schaefer, you know, who is a sinker ball kind of guy. Um, trying to keep the ball on the ground and then obviously, you know, taking advantage of the ballpark, using your power and, uh, you know, hopefully getting big contributions from guys like Kevin Smith and Marty Costas. And then, uh, you know, for UMBC, you know, honestly, I, I think you just got to hope that uh, you can take advantage of the ballpark and, <laughs> and you get some rough outings from the pitchers there. I mean, obviously, I mean, uh, the, the number four seed and, and the majority of these regionals is not going to stand much of a chance, unfortunately, just the way the, the tournament is structured. So I think it's for them. It's more you just got to hope you match up well. <laughs> so now you mentioned that's sort of my take. You mentioned a couple specific guys, Griffin Roberts on Wake Forest. You mentioned Michael Grove, B.J. Myers. Who are some other players to watch in this regional down in Winston-Salem? Yeah, uh, well, on Wake Forest, uh, Gavin Sheets has been tearing the cover off the ball all season he's he's made a big jump um they lost will craig to the draft uh, he was a first round pick from the pirates um and gavin sheets has stepped in and really filled the power void he's been really really good for them this year he has 20 home runs um he's a guy who uh, he, he's had multi-homer games especially in that ballpark he can crank it out no problem so he's someone to watch as is Stuart fairchild their center fielder you know, he's a guy who could get drafted somewhere probably in the first th three rounds or so. Very talented defender, very tough hitter, very toolsy guy. And then Johnny Aiello, their third baseman, you know, he's a sophomore. He played shortstop for them last year, but he moved over to third base. He gave up switch hitting, just hitting right-handed, and he's had a, just a huge, huge year. He's It's been a breakout year for him, So especially from a power standpoint. So he's someone to watch. Um, as far as West Virginia, you know, as someone who stands out to me with them, you know, Jackson Kramer is a is a veteran in the middle of that order. He's got the most pop on that team. Uh, he's someone to, to look out for. Kyle Davis is another guy who is probably their best draft prospect from in this year's class from, from a, a pure tools and talent perspective. And he's really been hitting the ball well lately. So he's someone to watch. And, you know, as I mentioned, BJ Myers and, and, and those guys on the pitching staff are, are worth watching as well. And then obviously we touched on some guys on, on Maryland as well. So I think those are kind of the, the key players to keep an eye out for during this regional. Taking a look at the entire field of 64 as a whole and, and who might make it to Omaha this year, what would be your bet for, 
you know, one of those eight teams. Or I, I guess what I'm kind of getting at is, you know, Maryland has never been there. Preseason, you know, looking around college baseball, you thought, you know, maybe this was the year the Terps were going to break through that Super Regional wall. They made it to the Super Regionals two out of the last three years and couldn't beat Virginia. Is this the year that the Terps can make a run to Omaha? Yeah, well, I think I think the reasonable I think the the regional is winnable. Um, I think that's uh, that's a reasonable and feasible thing for Maryland to, to come out of the regional. You know, the only problem is obviously they're they're matched up with Florida and going to Gainesville and beating Florida in Gainesville is is tough for anybody. You know, that's that's a tough draw. I, I think the Wake Forest regional is a good draw for Maryland. I think being paired with Gainesville is not a great draw for Maryland. Um, it, it's tough to. It's really tough to pick anyone to be Florida. I think Florida is a is a clear Omaha team just with how talented they are, the way they're playing right now. I mean, they're really firing on all cylinders. So I, I wouldn't completely rule it out for Maryland, but I think certainly, you know, were they to win the Winston-Salem Regional and assuming Florida wins its regional, which I think it's a relatively safe assumption given the other teams in that regional, I think it's an uphill battle for Maryland. I, I I would certainly give the edge to Florida over Maryland should they meet in the Super Regional. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Michael. Who right now is your national champion? And I guess the second question is, what kind of teams might make a Cinderella run? I mean, would you include Maryland as a Cinderella team? Okay, yeah. Uh, You know, I'm going to take the easy way out. And I hate doing this. I'd love to to have like a really cool, you know, I was on these guys before anybody else, but Oregon State's just the best team in the country. It's hard. It's they're, hard they're, not to look at them and say they they've yeah. got a good shot. Yeah, it's just, it's hard not to. It's hard to you can make you can make cases for other teams for the all of the eight national seeds. I could make a case for why they could win the national championship. But the strongest case is Oregon State because they're just the best team in the country. It's ridiculous how deep they are. You know, they already had the best pitching staff in the country in terms of numbers. And then you, you bring in Drew Rasmussen, their ace, who was out for Tommy John surgery. They bring him back in, in late April, and he's starting for them again. He's touching 97, and he's just as good as he was before Tommy John. I mean, that's like a, a huge trade at the deadline. And, and then just up the middle, how talented they are. Nick Madrigal and Caden Grenier are two of the most exciting infielders in college baseball, guys that are going to get drafted pretty high next year. They're just a really fun team to watch, and I think I, I just don't know how they lose, honestly. So they're, they're my national championship pick. Um, as far as Cinderella teams, you know, I think, I mean, I, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Maryland could be a Cinderella team. I don't know that they would be my first pick, but I don't think – it's out of the realm of possibility. Um, I think, you know, I look at other two and three seeds around the field. I think Auburn has some potential to make some noise. I, I think who they're matched up with, they're in the Tallahassee Regional, and just the way they've played this year and some of the series that they've they've pulled off and some of the wins that they have. They swept Florida, for instance, earlier in the year. I think they have a chance to maybe surprise some people. They have two aces on their team and and that's huge i mean casey mize and keegan thompson have been two of the more consistent pitchers in the country and they have both of those guys so that's certainly something to watch i think they could be kind of a you know i mean they're in the sec so i don't know if you could use the cinderella term with an sec team but certainly they would be a team that not a lot of people would expect to be in omaha so they're a team that i really like i think in the clemson regional i think that's a winnable regional for st john's um, the only issue is that's paired with Corvallis, so they would meet up with Oregon State. So that Cinderella <laughs> run probably wouldn't go far beyond that. But th- those are some of the teams that that I would look at. You know, I would 
I would say Maryland would be among that group, as is West Virginia, I would say, too, because I think both of those teams have a legitimate chance to come out of that Winston-Salem regional. Well, we'll find out what happens this weekend. The Terps going down to Winston-Salem to take on West Virginia in the opening round of the NCAA tournament. That game at 2 o'clock Eastern time, and we'll be live at 1.30 Eastern time with Terps pregame on the Maryland Baseball Network. Michael and Anna, thank you so much for joining us on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Um, if you want to check out Michael on Twitter, you can follow him at M. Lanana, that's L-A-N-A-N-N-A. And uh, personally, I recommend it because I really enjoy your baseball puns, among other things. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I enjoyed coming on. It's always fun talking college baseball and uh, excited to see what happens this weekend and over the next few weeks. Our thanks to Michael and Anna for joining us on the MBN podcast. And now, Jake, it's it's a fun time because the NCAA tournament has started. Everybody fills out these brackets, probably more than the basketball at this point, I think. There's a and basketball tournament? I, I've heard it. I, I've heard about it, but I don't know. That's but madness. We're going to do – oh, good job there. <laughs> um, let, let's do our MBN bracket challenge where we are going to pick the eight times – the eight teams, excuse me, that will be playing in the College World Series in Omaha, and then we'll pick national champions. Does that sound good? Sound, sounds good to me. This is going to be wildly incorrect on both sides. Um, full disclosure to, to those listening, Justin and I, as we are in completely separate states at the moment, have not discussed fully who we have chosen. So if they're the same, it's because we're both stupid, not because we copied off one another. Correct. And also, full disclosure... Last week, when we picked the Big Ten tournament, I got we both game picked Purdue in the first, in first round. So yes. that should give you an indication on on where we're going to be headed with this. Um, I guess we'll kind of go top to bottom in the super regionals, kind of how they all shake out. And I'd encourage anyone who's listening to this to also fill out a bracket because it's a lot of fun. Share your picks with us. Uh, I don't know. Tweet us at MD Baseball Net. Show us your brackets. That could be kind of fun. Um, but Justin, let's start with the top bracket. I think this one's pretty obvious, at least it is for me, that Oregon State is going to be, you know, one of the one of the eight teams in Omaha. They're just they're too good not to be. I, I totally agree. I have Oregon State beating Vanderbilt in that upper left super. The the Oregon State. I have the same that, thing. Wow. Okay. So we're off to a good start. Well, the reason um, why I have a Vanderbilt over Clemson is because Clemson kind of limped into the NCAA tournament. There's a team. They're a team that. You know, a lot of people said was undeserving to be a host because of the way they finished. They thought UVA was more deserving to be a host. And I think Vandy's a dangerous team. And when you have a guy like Kyle Wright who can start game one for you, a guy who's going to be, you know, maybe a top 10 overall pick, that's a, that's a pretty tough thing to pick against. I agree. Uh, we mentioned it earlier, but winning the first game of, of a regional is the key to winning the whole regional. So if Vanderbilt can throw Kyle Wright out there, they can beat anybody. So I think Vandy is – and also Vanderbilt has enough pitching depth that they can be a team that doesn't throw Kyle Wright game one against St. John's, save him maybe for a Clemson game. Right. Chandler Day is also a really good arm for the Commodores. All right, moving on to the second of the eight spots. In that Super Regional, I have Stanford knocking off Texas. Texas coming out of that Long Beach State Regional because I think the Longhorns are kind of an upstart team. But I have the Stanford Cardinal going back – to Omaha. Well, I have Stanford and Texas as well playing in the supers, but I will disagree with you there. I think the Texas Longhorns 
after a little bit of a wait, will get back to Omaha. They've had a solid year, moved into the top 25 after the Big 12 tournament, playing better down the stretch. I, I think this team gets back to Omaha. I'm not totally sto- sold on the Stanford Cardinal. The thing that I think ha- that the Stanford Cardinal have going for them, they're playing under Mike Marcass for the last year. I think that kind of emotional impact is not to be overlooked. Plus, they've been one of the best teams all season. What's interesting about it is then you got two Pac-12 teams of the four that got bids already in our Omaha 8. In your Omaha 8. In my Omaha 8, I suppose. Yes. I, I just look at the Big 12 as a stronger baseball conference, teams that have been more battle-tested over the years. So that's another reason why I kind of like the Longhorns. All right, moving on. What do you have next? Next, I have the Super as Texas Tech, the one seed out of the Lubbock Regional. And Florida State has a history of losing home regionals or Supers, especially of late. So I have the three seed Auburn coming out of there. And then I have another upset. I have the Auburn Tigers headed to the College World Series. I like that pick. I think Auburn's a dangerous team, especially with Casey Mize at the top of that pitching rotation. I have something a little bit off the beaten path here. My Super Regional is a battle of the Techs. I have Texas Tech taking on Tennessee Tech, one of the four seeds that I think is going to be really dangerous in the tournament and of all the four seeds maybe has the most potential to make a little bit of noise. But I have Texas Tech ultimately beating Tennessee Tech so there's, there's your big 12 team. So, so far, I have Oregon State, Stanford, and Texas Tech, all one seeds. Well, sounds like classic Eisenberg, no <laughs> risks. You don't think Tennessee Tech is a risk? Well, yeah, but, I mean, anyone, anyone can pick a four seed to win a super. It takes guts to take a three, or, excuse me, to make a super. It takes the guts to send a three to Omaha. How many, how many three seeds do you have in Omaha so far? One. I have Auburn. Okay, fair enough. Um, moving on, the, the last of the, I guess, left-handed portion of this bracket. In my Super Regional down there, I have LSU beating Mississippi State. So the Tigers going back to Omaha. have to agree with you. Same Super and the same winner. LSU played just great baseball against Maryland this year. Swept them in a three-game series. So there might be some bias on our part thinking about how good LSU is. But it's hard not to say they are. In the Super right above that, the one hosted by Southern Miss and Hattiesburg, well, Mississippi State doesn't even have to leave the state, and I think the Fighting Brent Brent Rookers will take that one. Yeah, the Brent Rooker show is going to a Super Regional um, just for the sake of, you know, putting on more of a show. The thing about LSU, and I think there is a little bit of bias there, having seen them in person and them being so impressive, they did have a stretch in the middle of the year where they were – not one of the better teams in the SEC. They had lost a bunch of games. The offense kind of sputtered, but they got that back, and I think they have a ton of guys who are who came back specifically to play in Omaha, guys like Cole Freeman, Kramer Robertson, Jared Poche, and I think when you look at that core of veterans, it's a squad for Palmineri that would be really a disappointment if they didn't make it to Omaha. I agree. I think LSU is a serious national championship contender, not just getting to Omaha. All right, we'll get to that national championship stuff a little bit later. First, we have the the other four of our eight. Um, Who do you have at the top of the right-handed portion of this bracket? I think UNC runs through the Chapel Hill Regional. And then, upset alert, Big Ten champion Iowa Hawkeyes win the Houston Regional, take out the number one seed Cougars, and then UNC wins the Super. All right, Justin, I this is a problem because I have pretty much the exact same thing. Oh, I've got gosh. UNC-Iowa and then UNC going to Omaha. 
I think the Hawkeyes are a really dangerous four seed. We saw that offense displayed in Bloomington, and this could be a huge, you know, recency bias coming to play here with the Hawkeyes. You know, we haven't seen Houston, we haven't seen Texas A&M, we haven't seen Baylor at all this season, but we saw Iowa. The thing that worries me about Iowa is I don't know that they're going to get the same starting pitching they got in the Big Ten tournament against some of these um, Big 12 teams. So the Hawkeyes might be a little bit more of a risky pick. I mean, obviously they're a four seed, um, but I think they're a bit closer to a three seed than most four seeds, if that makes sense. When it comes no, I agree, with, I agree with that. And what you say about the pitching is fair, but I also think that going into the Big Ten tournament, we would have said we didn't expect them to get the pitching they got. So who knows? It could happen. Right. And actually, if you remember correctly, at the start of the Big Ten tournament, that podcast, we said whoever won that game between Maryland and Iowa, that first game was going to win the tournament title. And, well, we were kind of right about that one. Um, in the Chapel Hill Regional at the top, I think even though Michigan was the last team in, I think that the Wolverines are going to be really, really dangerous. Jasky is a solid first-game starter. I think that Ryan Newtoff is a solid second-game starter. I think they have a lot of pitching depth, and they have one of the better middle infields in the country in Michael Bedard and Akeo Thomas. When Akeo Thomas is at 100%, which he is now, he's a really dangerous player. So if there's any team that's going to upset a national seed, I think it's going to be... Michigan, as crazy as it sounds, seeing as they were the last team in, but that might be a team that's almost an unexpected Cinderella. That being said, I still took the Tar Heels. I think UNC is just too good with J.B. Bukowskis, Luca Delatri, Brian Miller, Logan Warmuth, Zach Hagen. That's just a really solid squad. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the problem for Michigan here is that even if they get through the first game against FGU with Oliver Jasky. I feel like UNC might be a team that saves Bukowskis in their first game against Davidson, and it would be really tough for Michigan to beat J.B. Bukowskis at North Carolina in that second game. Right. I mean, don't count off the Wolverines' bullpen, though. Jackson Lamb and Mac Lozer, even though they weren't good in the Big Ten tournament, they were stellar all season long. So while I didn't pick the Wolverines, look for them maybe to make a little bit noise. And, of course, like I said before, that could be some, some Big Ten bias from us. All right, next one. I think there's a super that the NCAA is just praying that happens, and that's Kentucky against Louisville. The Lexington Regional has another Big Ten team. Indiana has a two. NC State, a team that Maryland saw as well as a three, but I just think Kentucky's too good, and the same thing in the regional right below it. I think Louisville runs through that one, and I have the Cardinals of Louisville beating Kentucky in that interstate super. Ooh, we have a little bit of a difference here. I, too, have Kentucky and Louisville coming out of those regionals. Kentucky, one of the best offenses in the country. They've got some solid pitching to back it up. Louisville has Brendan McKay. What else do you really need to say about the Cardinals? But I have the Wildcats beating Louisville in that regional for a couple of reasons. One, Kentucky would be the host between those two teams, and I think the home field advantage in this one is going to play a huge part in who comes out on top in this rivalry matchup. Number two, Kentucky has two other things that Louisville does not. Kentucky has former Maryland pitching coach Jimmy Bellinger and also former Maryland all-star manager Phil DePace. And I think Phil DePace works the magic and brings the Wildcats to Omaha. Shout out to Phil DePace. That is bold on your part. I've heard great things about Phil, but I mean, for a manager to be the key to winning a Super reg Regional, I think that would be unprecedented. If you if you had the chance to meet Phil, you would understand fully. <laughs> I say that in all sincerity. Okay, well, maybe I'll get a chance to meet him at some point, hopefully. Maybe in Omaha. Possible. All right, moving on. Um, we have the TCU Regional in Fort Worth and the Fayetteville Regional, 
with Arkansas. I actually have an upset in that Fort Worth regional. I have the Virginia Cavaliers winning that one and taking on the Arkansas Racerbacks. Um, and I have Arkansas beating UVA. First off, I think UVA, of all the teams in this tournament, got kind of the worst draw. A team that probably should have been a host based on the metrics and based on what the committee emphasized. They got sent to a national seat in TCU. And I think the Cavaliers, with a combination of Adam Hazley and Paven Smith, Ernie Clement, really good players. This is a team that's going to have an extra incentive, extra chip on its shoulder to play really well. They won the national title in back in 2015, beating Maryland on the way to the Super Regionals. And I think Virginia kind of maybe has something a little bit to prove to the college baseball committee or world or whatnot, and I think they come out and do it. That being said, I think Arkansas will be riding kind of being able to host a Super Regional in Fayetteville. That's going to be a raucous atmosphere, and I think Arkansas moves on to Omaha. Well, for me, starting with the Fayetteville Regional, I agree with you. I think Arkansas wins it. The two in that group of four is Missouri State, a team that lost its its conference championship to an Illinois State team that was miles under 500. That was shocking. And Oklahoma State won the Big, Ten, Big 12 tournament to get in, but I think they blew a lot of energy just to win that Big 12 tournament. So I think Arkansas at home runs through that regional. In the Fort Worth regional, I like TCU. And there are two reasons, and their names are Luke and Baker and Evan Skaug. And I think because of those two guys, TCU will beat Arkansas and head to the College World Series again. Now, I hate to point this out to you, but Luke and Baker is injured. So you're only kind of relying on one of those two guys. Well, the thing is, I've heard he's great in the dugout. Well, I mean, we can't overlook that. Maryland has a fantastic dugout. No one can knock the impact of guys like Pat Heisel and Kevin Biondic when they're not on the field. We saw that this week in the Big Ten tournament. I think Maryland would be the best dugout team in the nation. There's some bias there. It, it but has to be. They were really, really good up in Bloomington. The shenanigans, I mean, this is a quick detour here. I mean, the shenanigans were outstanding. We saw them create football-style headsets with cups and medical tape and had a play chart of different plays that they were calling from the dugout that, of course, meant absolutely nothing, but it was hilarious. I mean, that was uh, that was amazing. I remember during that game, I think it was the second inning, you were on play-by-play duties at that point, so uh, all-star sports information director Taylor Smythe tapped me on the back, took my headset off, beat up my mic, and he said, just want to let you know, Mike Racino has a paper cup headset on right now, and he's calling plays from the dugout. And I had to look down and see it. It was amazing. <laughs> I mean, I'm just laughing thinking about it. I think, you know, we loved the Yoda from Minnesota. I thought yeah. Iowa had some decent antics as well. The one that I think really goes underrated in all of this was we there was there was kind of a compilation that the Big Ten Network put together of all of Maryland's dugout shenanigans. And the one that just makes me crack up every time is the entire Maryland dugout waiting outside the dugout bathroom for John <laughs> Sheff to come out and the Maryland dugout cheering for head coach John Sheff as he emerges from that bathroom. I mean, just hilarious. That was amazing. My two favorites had to be Minnesota's hot dog eating contest. That, I mean, that great. took a lot of that that took a lot of preparation. See, the thing I was is, impressed. All of, yeah, all of these take so much preparation and so much attention to detail. Um, the second one, and I can't remember what team did it, but they had a, a, a player riding a spin bike sitting on top of another player and somebody was squirting water into the guy's mouth. Another person had a towel wiping off his brow. I thought that one was really solid too. Yeah, no, it takes a lot of teamwork to do these dugout shenanigans, but I think Maryland does it better than anyone else. And I'm really excited to see what the Terps have in store for this NCAA regional. Yes. 
I agree. And and if I had to put my mo- money on it, I would say Maryland will shenan again in Winston. <laughs> oh my goodness. You know what? I, I kind of like that one, I'll be honest. Thank you. All right. And now moving back to our field of eight, we've already got, at least I have, well, we'll do kind of a quick recap. I've already got Oregon State, Stanford, Texas Tech, LSU, UNC, Kentucky, and Arkansas. I have Oregon State, Texas, Auburn, LSU, UNC, Louisville, and uh, because of the Luke and Baker situation, I'm going with Arkansas. Oh, you're switching it up now. Yes. Okay, I see. I went, I went not so fast on myself. <laughs> oh, okay. Sounds good. All right, so the last bracket, um, I have Florida being the team that gets to Omaha. This is a Gator squad that's led by Alex Fiedo, Brady Singer. You know, we kind of already talked about the importance of winning that first game. And, of course, if you have a guy who's just as good as any other Friday night starter in the country like Brady Singer, then it's going to be pretty easy for the Gators to, to take home that regional, or it should be at least. They've got some good competition in South Florida down there, but I think playing in Gainesville, Florida runs away with it. Now, Maryland's regional is very interesting because we talked about this earlier, how this is a winnable regional not only for Maryland but also for West Virginia. I think the Terps, if they can ride Brian Schaefer in that first start, save the bullpen, then go off of a good Taylor Bloom start, you know, things have to go well for Maryland in order for them to knock off Wake Forest and come out of this regional Um, But I think the Terps have a chance to do it. We've seen their postseason magic in the past. Each of the past two times, they've made the NCAA tournament. They've made the Super Regionals. And I think the Terps do it again, and they're the team that comes out of Winston-Salem. Okay, so for me, Gainesville, no question, Florida wins. Now, I agree with you uh, about the Winston-Salem Regional being one that Maryland can win. I'm biased, of course. Right, and so am I. Um, But the reason I say that, the way I kind of look at these things when you have – a two or a three or a four, even playing a one. And I say to myself, does so-and-so lower seed have to play a perfect game to beat so-and-so one seed? So let's just give an example in another regional. Let's go out to, you know, the top overall seed. Does Nebraska have to play a, a perfect game to beat Oregon State? My answer is yes there. But when you look at this one and you say to yourself, does Maryland need to play a perfect game to beat Wake Forest? I would say no. And I I think you'd agree with that. I I would agree with that. I think that's a fair statement. With that said, though, I think Wake Forest wins the regional. And the reason I say that is this team is, from all indications, as well built for their specific ballpark as any other in the country. And I just think they'll be too tough to beat there. And then I think going to Gainesville, though, will be – a little bit too hard of a task for the Demon Deacons. I have Florida getting to Omaha. Right. Wake Forest is going to be a really tough team to beat in their own park. Mentioned those 96 home runs, that 308 team batting average. That's going to be really, really solid. One uh, one error that I had about five minutes ago, it's actually Louisville that's going to have home field advantage in that super, super between potentially Kentucky and Louisville. That being said, Kentucky still has filled a pace, so I'm still taking the Wildcats. Okay. <laughs> so we have our eight for Omaha. Now it's time to pick our national champion. For me, it, you know, it's hard not to pick Oregon State, a team that's so good. Luke Heimlich, the southpaw, Jake Thompson, the righty. They just got back. Drew Rasmussen, as you heard Michael and Anna talk about a little bit earlier. But I'm going to go with LSU here. I think this is a team that is really just chomping at the bit to get back to Omaha. And when they do, they're not going to let that opportunity pass them by. I think the Tigers are going to hoist the crown in 2017. Well, who do you have them playing against? Oh, well, that's that's the big question. I guess uh, I guess I'd have them playing against 
Hmm. I can't have them playing against Oregon State because they'd be in the same bracket. So I guess I have them playing against North Carolina. I also have North Carolina playing for national title. I'll go with the top seed Oregon State taking the Tar Heels on. But in the end, and you know this pains me, Jake, because my parents are Duke alums. So picking North Carolina in anything is one of the Half worst of our listeners now do. hate you, by the way. Yes, I know that. They didn't. <laughs> well, is that half? Did they already hate me before? Or? I mean, probably. Yeah, I, whatever. But UNC, I have them winning the national championship. They have great pitching depth. I mean, when Maryland went down there for a midweek and they saw Tyler Baum pitching for UNC, I think the reaction was, how is this not a weekend starter? UNC has a number of <laughs> that guys was like that, that was exactly that was my reaction, right? So I, I think the UNC Tar Heels have the depth to hoist the trophy this year. Okay, last thing we'll do: we're each going to pick a Cinderella team. This is nearly impossible. I think baseball might be the hardest sport to pick a Cinderella team in because it's not just a single elimination tournament like basketball, where you know if a team gets hot and runs off three wins, they make it you know three rounds farther. For a, for a Cinderella team in baseball to make it to Omaha, I mean, we saw it happen last year with Coastal Carolina, but they have to do a lot right, and I mean a lot. So this is kind of a tough thing. I mean, just looking at the way that we pick these regionals, it seemed like I'm pretty high on tech, Tennessee Tech in the Tallahassee Regional. We're both kind of high on Iowa out in that Houston Regional. I had some thoughts about Michigan, but I think that might be some Big Ten bias. Who's your Cinderella pick? Well, when I look at these Cinderella's, I don't want to pick a team that expended so much energy to win its conference tournament. So for me, in this conversation, it would kind of knock Iowa out of that. Um, and the other hard part of this is how do you define Cinderella one? And by being a Cinderella, how far do you have to go? I would say winning a regional. Um, and for me, I'm going to take the three seed from the Clemson region. I'll go with St. John's. They have one of the best freshman arms in the country in Kevin Mooney. And I think that he could be a key win a game for them. And St. John's, they did lose the big East championship to Xavier, but they've been looked at all year as a top 25 team. And I think that they could definitely cause some hay in that regional. They have a bunch of players who hit over 300 just to count them quickly. They have, eight guys who have started at least 47 games this year that hit 305 or better. Mooney, their Friday night guy, a 1-2-2 ERA, 8-1 in 96 innings. Opponents hit, get this, Jake, 178 against Kevin Mooney. That's a scary team. Absolutely. I think that's a really scary team. Um, I think another scary team is, I, I think my Cinderella is going to be Michigan. And they were my pick to win the Big Ten tournament. That obviously didn't happen. But kind of like I mentioned before, I think a Michigan team is built for, you know, a regional like this because they have good starting pitching, they have a good offense, they have a good coach in Eric Backage, and I think the Wolverines could make more noise than people expect. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I think what uh, Michigan has to have happen in order to make some hay in their regional is that they have to hope uh, that UNC throws Bukowski's game one against Davidson rather than saving him. And two, they need their bullpen to get back to form because they were not good in, in Bloomington. Right, which is why they went 0-2. So 
So obviously none of our picks here are going to pan out and be correct because that's the way these bracket things work. Um, hopefully the one that is correct, I guess for Maryland's sake, is my pick of the Terps to win the Winston-Salem Regional and move on to a Super Regional. It would be the third time in four years that Maryland would make a Super. The last two times Maryland was in the NCAA tournament, they lost to Virginia in the Super Regionals. In 2015, Virginia went on to win the national title. But Maryland poised for its third NCAA tournament appearance in four years. That's a big thing for this Maryland program that had only made it to the NCAA tournament three times in the previous 120 years. Shout out to Taylor Smythe for cooking up that nugget. And I think it's a good thing for this program. It shows the culture has changed that back when we were playing fair or foul, I said that this season is the way it should be, that they're in a regional. It shows things have changed. I couldn't agree more. So that'll do it for this edition of the Maryland Baseball Network Podcast. Thanks for listening. As always, you can subscribe to the Maryland Baseball Network Podcast by searching Maryland Baseball Network in your podcast app on your phone or in the iTunes store. Give us a comment as well. Let me know, or let us know, I should say, what you like about the podcast, what you don't, so that next year we can maybe do a little bit better. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at MDBaseballNet. Give us a like on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MDBaseballNet. One other content note. Make sure you're checking out MarylandBaseballNetwork.com for the next couple of weeks as we cover Maryland's run into the NCAA tournament. We're also going to be releasing a bunch of draft previews for the draft-eligible Terps. The MLB draft is June 12th. That's when it starts and extends through June 14th and 15th. A bunch of draft-eligible Terps this season, including Kevin Smith, Brian Schaefer. Both those guys can be picked within the top five rounds, so keep an eye out for that stuff coming your way. We also caught up with Frankie Polari from D1Baseball.com and asked him his thoughts about some of the draft-eligible herbs, so keep an eye out for that as well. This weekend, Justin and I will be down in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, where Maryland takes on West Virginia in the first round of this Winston-Salem Regional. That ball game getting underway Friday at 2 o'clock Eastern time. Maryland Baseball Network will be live at 1.30 with Terps pregame. Justin, did I miss anything there? I don't think so. I think you did pretty well, but I have to say, uh, we were a little nervous after the Northwestern game on Sunday that that might have been your last MBN call. So <laughs> I, I think everyone's very happy that we'll get at least two more. I, I'm thrilled as well. Really excited to be go down there in Winston-Salem. It's going to be a lot of fun. So we'll see you on Friday at 2 o'clock. Then we'll find out where Maryland plays next on Saturday and how things are going to progress on the Terps' road to Omaha. So for Justin Galandi, I'm Jake Eisenberg. We'll see you down in Winston-Salem this coming weekend. So long.